I was most nervous about coming into Mass was not the crowds or the people or the homily, but it was, can I say all those names right without skipping a beat? (laughs) So I think um, a common question that I think we've all been asked at some point within the last couple of weeks, I'd be willing to bet, is this one. What do you want for Christmas? And there's one of two people, I think, who answers that question. You either... Oh, I have my list ready to go. I know exactly what I want. Or, which is what I tend to do, what do you want for Christmas? Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't, I don't know, what, you know. I, I never know how to answer that question, right? And I ask that question because although it's a very surface level question, I think it's important because it's a question of desire. What do you want? What do you desire, right? They're surface level desires, um, but we can also take that a little bit deeper, and I ask that question because I'm, just, I'm, I'm reflecting on the ways that, um, unlike any other religious feast, Christmas has permeated its way into just the cultural mindset. Um, in a way, unlike any other, like not even Easter, has permeated itself into the culture the way that Christmas has. And although you can argue there's, there's secularizations of it, which, you know, there's elements of that. Um, but even things like, you know, civil governments putting up nativity scenes and manger scenes... Christmas, unlike anything else, has, has gotten its way into the human heart and into the human consciousness. And I marvel as to why, what is it about Christmas that, that grabs us like that, unlike anything else? And while I think there, there may be a lot of reasons, just family traditions or just end of the year feels and, and the way that, that things play out, um, I'd like to think that it, there's something about the Christmas story that strikes something in our heart, that resonates, that, that resonates with what our desires are. Even if we don't articulate it or have never articulated it, there's something about the story of Christmas and the message of Christmas that pulls us in in a particular way. Something about, we hear the prophet Isaiah say, the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. This, this, this message of light coming into darkness The grace of God, Jesus Christ, appearing among men and offering salvation to everybody. There's something about that that resonates with us. I think it's easy to say, especially now, we can all list the ways that either us personally or as a people or a people in darkness. Everything about uh, most things about this year have been elements of darkness for a lot of people. There's been a lot of struggles, a lot of hardships. We resonate with the idea that we are a people in darkness. Maybe there's just elements of relationships in our life with family and friends that, that hurt us, that weigh us down, that, that bring up this idea of darkness, that the holidays only seems to make that worse and to call, bring, that, bring everything up to the surface. Maybe it's just my own personal struggles with sins or, or things that I, don't like, that I do that I don't like to do or various addictions or things about me that are just my own personal darknesses that I, that I kind of keep and hold in, in my heart. And we long, when we're aware of all this darkness, we long for a light to come into that. We long for a great light to come into that and to scatter that darkness, the elements of our life that I, I don't want, I don't like. I need some kind of light to come in to scatter that. It's just kind of natural in our, in our human thinking. And almost I think we can kind of creep into the way of thinking that um, the light can't penetrate the darkness. The darkness is too great for the light to come in. Right? Is there almost like a, a questioning of hope? The message of Christmas and the message that, um, that Jesus and that the God the Father comes to reveal to us today, I think within that desire reveals two critically important things. 
The first is that Jesus does that by coming into the darkness, by coming into our poverty. Jesus, God, becomes man. And I think we can kind of, we, we hear that, and we can gloss over how big of a deal that is. There is no other religion in the world, in history, has ever had their God become man, who has had their God unite himself so fully to humankind that he becomes one of them. In the poverty, in the messiness of it, Jesus becomes man. That whole genealogy that, that we heard in the gospel does a couple of things. Number one, it, it reveals to us we can know who Jesus is in perhaps the most Cajun way possible. Who's your mom? Who's your dad? Who's your grandma? Once we know all those things, then we know who you are. Jesus gives us his whole genealogy to reveal to us, yes, we know you are truly man. And the fact that that list of people is anything but a list of saints. It's a list of murderers, a list of prostitutes, a list of people who have been unfaithful again and again and again. Just so that even Jesus, even, even as God becomes man, doesn't come into this picture-perfect idea of the Holy Family where everyone's sinless and everyone's... He comes into a, a mess. There's a, a, um, a quote by a, a religious writer named Dorothy Day. And she says, I rejoice so much that God was, was willing to, be, to come be born into a stable. Into a messy stable filled with animals. Because if he can be born in a stable, maybe, just maybe, he can also be born in me. Jesus doesn't need, he doesn't come in pop and circumstance. He comes in poverty. Because he knows our hearts. And that's in the poverty, the messiness, the imperfection of my own heart is where he desires to be born. The great joy of Christmas is that Jesus, number one, comes in poverty. And the second thing is that he comes not because of anything we did to deserve it. In fact, we can't do anything to deserve it. His coming is completely free, unconditional, no strings attached, a total gift. Which can even be foreign to us because in so many ways, when we give things... It's, it's very rare that we give things totally freely without any kind of, like, I give so that I can get something or so that I can feel this way. It's very easy for self-serving things to kind of creep into our giving of a gift. And so it can always be foreign that someone would come and to give something so great with no strings attached, with no expectations in return for that. Something that we didn't deserve, something that we're never going to be able to repay no matter how hard we try. And more than that, it's when, it's when we fail to measure up, whenever we don't do what's right, whenever we're just minding our own business and, every, and everything related to God is an afterthought. That's the place, that's the person who Jesus desires to give himself fully to. His unconditional love never is ever going to depend on anything that we do. Even if we make a mess of everything, even if we screw everything up, no matter what we do, Jesus' love comes to remain in us freely. Even if I don't think about him at all, maybe if I haven't been in a church for a year, Jesus' love comes to remain in, in your heart, in each one of our hearts, totally, freely, and unconditionally. And it's very easy to get into the kind of thinking that says that, well, God is good to us when we're good, but when we're bad, then he punishes us. And that thinking, because we're, because we're recognized in our own darkness, can keep God in an arm's length. If he's good when we're good and if he punishes us when we're bad, 
that kind of person, I, I, I just by nature kind of keep it a distance. That's the furthest thing from who God desires to be. God's love is unchanging, unconditionally faithful. He still loves us no matter what. That's the, that's the great joy that God more than anything, I think, wants to reveal to us today. That he is faithful. There's a security in that. And there's a peace that we long for in that. That God is faithful no matter what we do. No matter what we don't do, God's love never changes and God's love is faithful. He comes to win our hearts, not by any kind of expectations or, or by, by kind of forcing us, forcing it upon us. He comes to win our hearts solely by his great, unending, captivating love that draws us in, that we deeply long for. He comes to speak to that. And our response to that, we, th- there is no response to that. We can't, we can't do anything to merit or to earn or because of that. The only thing that God invites us to do today is to accept the gift that he's offering to us. To receive the love that he desires to place into our hearts anew. And it's hard, I notice whenever, we receive, whenever I receive a gift, it's almost hard for me to receive a gift and to not like, I, want to, I feel like I should give you something in return. Or when someone gives me a gift that I wasn't expecting, well, then I feel bad because like, oh, I don't have anything to give to you. Or we try to like, well, I'll try to do something later on to kind of make up for the gift that they gave me. It's hard to purely receive a gift and not, do any, and, and not feel like I have to do something in return for that. But that's exactly what God wants us to do. He purely, more than anything, just wants us to receive this gift. Not trying to justify ourselves, nor not, and not trying to discredit ourselves. He wants us to receive the free gift of his love that he has for us. And it's only in that reception, like right here, right now, of that love into my heart, that's, that's what's transformative. That's what speaks to what we're longing for. That's what speaks to this constant search that we have to, to find satisfaction. It's just receiving the unconditional love of the Father. Like right now, that's possible. That's possible at every moment of every day, but it's brought to the fore every time we celebrate Christmas because we're put face to face with the real gift that God has offered to us. All we have to do is receive it. I want to close with a story that I, I, I heard Pope Francis tell this recently and it, uh, it stuck with me. It's a story of, of the shepherds coming to visit Mary and Joseph and Jesus in the manger. That as they were coming, they were rejoicing and they're going to see this king that the angel told them about. So they all tried to get a little gift, something that they can come and offer to this newborn king. And so they would either get maybe make a little trinket or some kind of produce or crop that they had grown or a little animal or whatever it was. And they were going to offer these gifts to Jesus to see the king. There was one shepherd, though, who was, he was just so poor, he, he couldn't come up with anything. There was, he literally had nothing to give. So he was going to go with everybody, but he was kind of, kind of hang in the back, be a little bit, just kind of watch everything. And so as everyone comes, they offer their gifts to Mary and Joseph. That one shepherd kind of hangs in the back, a little bit, a little bit ashamed, kind of feeling bad. I don't have anything to give. And eventually Mary and Mary's holding Jesus and it becomes too difficult to kind of receive all these gifts. So Mary sees that one shepherd who doesn't have anything in his hands. She calls him forward and hands him Jesus so that she can then receive the gifts that everybody's trying to give her. And that shepherd is standing there holding Jesus and recognizes that what he's holding 
is the greatest gift ever. He had empty hands, which allowed him to receive from Mary the greatest gift. And that spoke to his heart in a unique way. So if, you're, if you come with empty hands, with a poor heart, not feeling like I have anything to give, Christmas is for you. That invitation is for you. With empty hands, with a poor heart, a great light has come to shine upon us, especially the ones who feel like we don't have anything to give. All we do today is accept the gift that God has for us.